Hey friends, my name is Ryan Hughley. I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. We're working to build a community position to experience God in daily life. Our weekly teaching is one piece of that work. So as you listen to this week's message, my prayer is that you would hear God inviting you to respond to his love and his desire for you. For more information, you can visit ridgeline.church. We are going to kick off a new series this morning called Here I Am. And I want to start by just leading with kind of what the premise uh, of this series is. And the premise is really simple. It's that every relationship requires a particular set of practices in order to prosper. Consider that with me this morning, that every relationship, doesn't matter what kind of relationship, doesn't matter which relationship, but every, every relationship requires a particular set of practices in order for it to prosper. So think of things like uh, it takes time with someone. We need presence. We need communication and listening. We need to uh, acknowledge when we have wronged someone, to own that, to apologize for it. We have to practice forgiveness. Every relationship requires a particular set of practices in order to prosper. And if you think about a relationship in your life that you've experienced that has not prospered, my guess is what you will find is the absence of one or all of those practices. And this premise holds true in our relationship with God as well. In order for our relationship with God to prosper, it requires a particular set of practices to be in place. And this is really the intent behind what historically are called the spiritual disciplines. The point of the disciplines or these practices is to position our lives in such a way that our relationship with God can prosper. The problem is oftentimes we either miss the actual intent of these spiritual practices or we forget it. And when we miss that, the, 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 the intent or we forget it, then we find them to be these like, laborious acts of obligation that we kind of have to do or that we do because we know we're supposed to, to do them. Or maybe they, we view them as like the, the extracurriculars of our faith, that we get to these things uh, when our schedule allows, when it is convenient for us. And, and again, all of that is problematic because it completely misses God's intent for these practices. M. Robert Mulholland Jr. says this. He says, the personal disciplines are acts of loving obedience by which we offer our brokenness and bondage to God for healing and liberation. Think about how, how qualitatively different that is than viewing the spiritual practices in our lives as these sort of laborious acts of obligation. They are meant to be these practices by which we offer everything about who we are, the good, the bad, the ugly. We offer that to God and invite him to heal all of that inside of us. And again, oftentimes we just miss this. So we've just, if this is your first time with us, we just spent five weeks talking about what spiritual formation is. That it is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. And so what we're doing this morning is we're going to transition into this three-week series. And we are going to really spend our time looking at 
um, how we go about opening our hearts to God's healing presence in our lives. And so as we set out on this three-week journey looking at uh, a handful of these historical practices in our lives, what I want to do is I want to put a prayer in our mouths and in our minds as we go into this series. And that prayer is very, very simple and I think captures the essence of this intent behind all spiritual practice. And the prayer is really simple. It's just this, here I am. Every time we practice any spiritual discipline, that is the essence, that is the heart of it. We're sitting with God and we are saying, whether it's giving or reading scripture or serving or whatever it might be, praying, we're saying, God, here I am. Say what you wanna say, do what you wanna do, change what you wanna change, here I am. And so I wanna invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me as we pray that very prayer and we ask God to start this work in us even now. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are an ever-present God. That there is nowhere we go that you're not. There has never been one second, never one, one breath drawn in our lives in which you are not there and present. And Lord, oftentimes we are just unaware of you. We don't see you, we don't feel you, we don't hear you. And we have a deep nagging longing inside of us for you. And so Lord, we just open our hearts to you this morning and we say, here we are. We want to hear from you this morning. We want you to work in our lives this morning and we don't want it just to be a 90-minute experience that we have with you on Sunday morning. We want to walk with you and sit with you daily. And so we open ourselves to you this morning, and we ask that you would have your way. Here we are. We ask that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first practice that I want to spend our time looking at together this morning uh, is stillness that settles the heart, which I think should, should feel real timely for a lot of us right now. Stillness that settles the heart. I would argue that the chief obstacle that often obstructs our awareness of God's presence and our awareness of God's voice is the noise that is inside of us and around us all of the time. Think about, I'm, I, I would guess I'm probably not the only one. Think about how often you find yourself mentally and emotionally stuck in the past stuck in regret, stuck in shame, stuck in trauma that has happened to you, and it is so loud. Think about how much time you spend consumed with anxiety or fear about the future, and it is so loud. Think about, like I think about how much of my day I spend stressed day to day, wanting to be a good husband, wanting to be a good dad, wanting to be a good friend, wanting to be a good pastor, and the noise of that stress is so loud. And we have pandemics, and we have wars, and we have injustice that we don't know what to do with, and the noise of all of that is just so loud. And this goes all the way down to like, I don't know about you, but I find it so stressful how much content is being produced all of the time for us to consume. I like literally feel that like every time I get on Netflix or I get on any one of these streaming, I'm like, oh my God, there's something out. Like the number of times in a week, I think I still have not watched the new season of Cobra Kai. 
and I'm immediately stressed about that because I want to. Like we laugh about that, but it's just one more example of, of some other piece of noise in our lives. And so what I hear constantly from people all of the time, I hear people say all the time, I just don't, I don't feel like God's communicating with me. I am not hearing God in my life. God is not communicating with me, and I don't think that's true. I don't think the issue is God's not communicating. I think the issue is that we are too consumed to hear him. And so we have to do something about that. So I want you to think about, I want you to think about your life like this jar of water and gravel. When this is in like constant motion like this, it really obstructs the clarity of the water. Rather than clear so that you can see into it and see through it, it's just like this black storm. And the truth is, even just a moment of stillness and the gravel settles and it goes back to clear. And the reality is, the same thing is true in our lives. Same thing is true for our souls. We just have all of this noise in and around us that feels like chaos. And we sit in this going, man, I, God is just not communicating. If God would just lift his voice, like maybe you have a friend who's a loud talker, God's not a loud talker. And oftentimes we just like, we, we feel like the remedy to not hearing God is we just need God to get louder or we just need God to get more clear. But the truth is we don't need God to shout God wants us to get still. We don't need God to be a loud talker. We don't need God to lift his voice. God wants us to get still. And it is probably, more and more so in our culture too, the most difficult thing for us to do. It's not complicated, but it's very, very difficult for us to do. And so this morning, I want to look at three aspects, three facets to this stillness that settles the heart. I want to look at first a couple of invitations to these practices of solitude and silence that we see in Scripture. I want to take uh, seriously the very real obstacles to practicing these things in our lives because it's not easy for us. And then I, I want to look at some practical instruction for how we actually make this, these practices actionable in our lives. Because again, I was sharing with our team this morning, I think of teaching series in kind of, there's two kinds. There are uh, series that are about knowing, where we want to understand and really know some things, which is very much what Invitations in the Desert was. And then there's like what I would call a do series. It's really focused on, like, it's really only helpful to us if we actually do the things that we are learning about. And this is very much an, an actionable, practical series that there is no value in you just hearing and acknowledging stillness is good. If we don't put these practices into action in our lives, they hold no value for us. And so we'll end with some practical instructions. So to start, I want to look at this invitation First, in the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 6. So if you have a Bible in front of you, you want to turn to Mark chapter 6. Uh, let me just jump into what's happening here. Look, verse 30 says this. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, let, let me fill in some of the gaps, because this is just one instance in which we are dropping in on. Mark chapter 6 is not a particularly long chapter. 
It's about the same length as every other chapter in Mark, but it is just jam-packed with important events. And it really starts with, if you have a Bible and you were to look back, Jesus commissions his 12 apostles for the very first time to go out and to do the three things that they had been watching him do and helping him do. So he sends them out on their own for the first time to preach and teach about the kingdom of God, to heal those who are sick, and to liberate those who are experiencing spiritual oppression in their lives. In addition to that, John the Baptist, one of the most important figures in the New Testament, is murdered by King Herod, beheaded to be specific. And not because of any crime on his part, it was just the whim of his niece and his fear of losing face in front of his friends. And so John is beheaded, John's disciples come to Herod, and they take away the headless body of this man that had been such a tremendous blessing in their lives. So all of that leads up to here in verse 30 when we read, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So think about that meeting as they sit with Jesus and they debrief what they'd been through. Consider what their mental, emotional, and physical state would have been. They're probably excited on one level. I mean, God has used them to do some pretty powerful things. They're probably exhausted from all of that, like I'm dog tired after one church service, much less this kind of missionary journey, healing journey that they'd been sent out on. They're also grieving because they've lost this amazing man that again had been a blessing to, to thousands of people. They're probably also pretty fearful, filled with concern, wondering like, is John's fate going to become our fate? Is this the direction that all of us are headed? Are we gonna meet this same end that John just experienced? So just imagine all of that noise going on inside of them and the noise going on around them. And they come and they sit and they're debriefing this with Jesus. And I want you to notice in verse 31, the invitation that Jesus extends to them and that he extends to us. 31 says, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So Jesus is inviting them to a place of solitude. This Greek word that we translate as remote place, it's a word eremos. It can, it can mean a lot of different things, but all of them pertain to solitude. It can, speak, can be translated as desert or deserted place or desolate place, solitary place, quiet place. It's a place of solitude. In fact, nine times in Luke's gospel, he notes that Jesus withdrew to a solitary place. So this practice that he's inviting the apostles into, this practice that he invites us into, is a practice that was commonplace in Jesus' life. The busier and more demand there was on Jesus, the more faithful he was to withdraw to a solitary place to be with the Father. And this is what he invites us to. And, and the truth is, at just the most basic relational level, you can't have a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with, like focused, present time with them. Henry Nouwen said that without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take it seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to him. 
And I think this is a major challenge for so many of us. And it's the reason that so, so often that we feel as though we are far from God or we feel distance in that relationship with him. By and large, not always, but by and large, anytime I'm in a conversation with someone like that or I'm feeling that in my own relationship with Jesus, about 99% of the time, there is usually not a priority being put on time with him. It's not rocket science. But usually there's just not time with him. And so Jesus invites them, and Jesus would invite us to a place of solitude where it is just us and him. Furthermore, if you have your Bibles still open, go left to the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 46 for a moment. This has become one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Psalm 46, quick context. Uh, Psalm 46, in many ways, is a response to the laments that have been written in Psalm 42 through 44. And if you read through the beginning of 46, we're just going to look at verse 10 for the sake of time this morning. But what you read about in Psalm 46 is a lot of noise. David does not write this as like some monk living in a monastery, living it where it's easy to be quiet. He's a king. He is at war. There is chaos around him. There is chaos inside of him. And it's from that space that he answers this question, how, how exactly... How exactly do we focus our attention on God in the midst of all of this noise? And then we get verse 10. He says, stop your fighting and know that I am God. Hear this invitation from God to him. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations. Exalted on the earth. Now, I'm teaching from the Christian Standard translation. Uh, most translations would translate this phrase, rather than stop fighting, it's, it's translated as be still and know that I am God. Either way, it translates this Hebrew word rapha. And the word rapha just means to stop, to put an end to an activity or to a state and to relax. And so whether we choose the phrase, stop fighting or be still, it is this invitation to be, be still, literally just be quiet, be silent, and know that I am God and you are not. Hear that invitation from God. Feel the freedom that comes in acknowledging that you are not God. And we spend so much time fighting for control, believing that we are God as if the world, as if our souls, as if our, the good, any good in our life and blessing in our life hinges on our control, and it doesn't because we're not God. So God says, just be still. Stop. Be with me. Be silent with me and know that I'm God. And this is much more than this sort of like purely left brain body of information, like the way that we, we tend to think about theology where we have the right theological construct regarding who God is. This, is. this is an invitation to like integrate the right emotional side of our brain into that and know in an experiential way that we are not God, but he is. And to benefit, benefit from the, the, the blessing and the peace that comes from actually believing that that's true. But it requires that we get to a sol solitary place 
that we get quiet and we focus our attention on that truth. There's a 6th century Syrian monk by the name of John Clamacus, and he said that the friend of silence draws near to God. There is this amazing, long, rich history. We have like centuries of wisdom telling us that silence and solitude are critical for the health of the soul. And I think it's no mistake that we live in a day and an age when our mental emotional health is at an all-time low as a culture, and we are busier, more hurried, there's more noise, we are more like, just think about the wisdom that floods our culture right now. It's almost exclusively about how to do more with less time. It's all productivity, all of the time. And I'm like, like productivity's good. Like we don't wanna waste time. God's given us meaningful, important work to be about, but not at the expense of our souls, not at the expense of actually being with him. And so we have this, these very clear invitations from Jesus saying, come away with me and rest for a while. So the question is, what is it that keeps us from that? And I think it, there's a, some very real obstacles in our lives to that. And I think it's a combination of both external and internal obstacles. And so let's, let's look at these two different kinds together. First, let's look at the external obstacles to practicing silence and solitude. Uh, I've got a few here that I want to highlight. The first one is schedule. Some of us just really, really feel like, and, and maybe don't have the margin, we don't have the time. I love, there's this quote by Corey Ten Boom. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Think about the implication of that. That's pretty heavy. One of the greatest sins that most of us commit day to day is probably how busy we are. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. Because what busyness does is it strangles the ability to have relationship with God and with one another. And so sometimes our schedule really, really is a problem for us. And especially when we are living a very busy, very hurried life, silence feels like doing nothing, right? Like silence feels like I'm, I just sit there and I don't do anything. But the truth is, it's, it's not nothing. It is something. We are being with God. But it feels like a waste of time to us. But it is a conscious attempt to just sit and to be with God. So one external obstacle is our schedules. Another one would be your season of life. Like this is especially true if you have young kids in your home. Like I remember when our kids were young, our kids have always been early risers. It's gotten better for sure. But there was a, a time when like 5 a.m. was like the norm. And I've watched so much Curious George at 5 a.m. wanting to just sleep more than anything else rather than watch the hijinks of this crazy little monkey. And uh, I just spent so much time doing that. So I remember those early years with kids thinking like, man, if I'm gonna get some, some solitary, silent time, like, I, I got to get up at 4. I've got a real hard, like, 5 a.m., 5.30 is, like, my normal wake-up time. Anything before that is, like, I don't even think God's awake before 5 a.m. So I was, it was just, it was, there was a season of life where it really felt impossible to be able to find this space that was quiet, and it was hard. So you just, you do your best 
in those seasons of life. But I do want to acknowledge that there are seasons in life in which this is much more difficult. I've joked for years, the only books I have ever seen written on the top of prayer are always written by old people. They are never written by people with kids, almost never. You know why? Because I don't think you really start to have the time to pray till you're like 60. That's for whatever reason, that seems to be when that starts to settle down a little bit. But season of life is a very real obstacle. A third one, this is super uh, obvious, I would think, is technology. Technology. It's, it's becoming more and more difficult, is it not, to give our full attention to anyone or anything. Think about how rarely you just sit and give your full attention to one thing or to one person. How many times in the last week have you been in a conversation with someone, maybe even about something that really mattered, and one of you was interrupted by like a text message or was distracted by something else that was going on uh, that was related to technology in our lives. It's just becoming more and more and more difficult to give our full attention to anything and anyone. And so it is so critical that we are thoughtful. Oftentimes what we do with technology is we just see it as, as some tool that's going to make <clears throat> our lives easier or better or run more efficiently. And so we just adopt it. We adopt it. And we're not always very thoughtful about how to actually build technology into our lives. So if I were you, I would think about technology the way that we think about fire. If you have a fire pit in your backyard, having a fire is awesome. It's beautiful. It's warm. It provides light. But if, if you remove fire from that constraint, it devastates and destroys. And technology is exactly the same. So if we build it and we use it as a tool, it can be a tremendous gift. And if we don't, if we just allow it to run our lives, it will devastate and it will destroy. Specifically, our ability to give our attention to one another, and most importantly, to give our attention to God. So we have these external obstacles, schedule, season of life, technology, but it's not just external manners, our matters. It's also internal things. There are internal obstacles inside of us that I would say are all connected emotionally to fear. Some of us have a real deep fear about getting alone and getting quiet. So I can think of at least three, three areas that we have fear. Some of us just have a deep fear of the discomfort that comes with silence. We fear that it will be boring. And can I tell you, sometimes it is boring. And so if you have a deep fear of boredom and you don't like the discomfort that comes with that, oftentimes we will avoid this practice in our lives. But even more than that, I think sometimes when we get quiet, I don't think that we like what comes up in us. The emotion or the memories that begin to expose themselves, they can feel very painful and scary and uncomfortable. And so the reality is that silence really demands courage and strength from us to allow God to surface whatever he wants to surface as we get quiet. And I think the reality is that we, we spend, the, one of the reasons that we spend our time in constant motion is that through that motion, whether consciously or unconsciously, we are trying to suppress things that we don't want to face. But the problem is, as we say over and over here, here whatever is hidden can't be healed. 
And so we need the Spirit of God. We need these times of solitude and silence to allow God to surface things in us that he wants to work in, that he wants to heal. So one reason we avoid this is fear of discomfort. A second would be fear of disappointment. Fear of disappointment. When you, when you read people talk about, or if you hear me say something to the effect of silence over the last three years of my life, solitude and silence have been two of the most healing practices in my life. And that's true. They have been. But I also know what it's like to be on the other end of reading those things or hearing those things and thinking, yeah, but what if it's not for me? Like, what if I, what if I try this and it, it doesn't work for me? So there's this real fear of, I don't want to be disappointed by that. So there's fear of discomfort, there's fear of disappointment, and then thirdly, and I think this is a big one, there's a deep fear of surrender. We have such an unbelievable longing and need for control. And the truth is, when you're reading scripture, you have control. You're choosing where to read, what to read, how long to read, what to pay attention to, what not to pay attention to, you're in control. When you pray, there is a degree to which you are in control. You are determining what you're going to talk to God about, what you're not going to talk to God about, how long you're going to talk to him. And nothing demands surrender like silence. I just sit here and listen and let him say what he wants. Yeah, that's the whole idea. And that's kind of scary because what's he going to say? So I think there are these deep internal reasons why this is so, so hard for us, but it's still worth it. It's worth finding a way to overcome any obstacle that stands, because again, what hangs in the balance on these practices is not just religious activity. It's not just like getting a, a report card from God on which you're going to like score low if you don't do these things. What hangs in the balance with these practices is our relationship with him which means our healing, our wholeness, our flourishing. So we have to find a way to make these things actionable in our lives, even if it scares us, even if it's hard, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it requires work from us. So let's finish <clears throat> by looking at some practical instruction regarding how do we actually begin to take some steps toward Solitude and silence becoming a normative practice in our lives. So the first thing I'd recommend is this. Pick your place, okay? Pick the place, like solitude, when we think about that word eremos, that Greek word, a remote place, it's a literal place. So what is going to be your place that you spend time sitting with God? It needs to be quiet. It needs to be secluded at least to a degree, right? So there's not gonna be constant traffic coming through as you're trying to sit silently with God. As much as possible, it needs to be distraction-free. So you don't need to have like some elaborate prayer room in your house. I mean, if you have that, that's great, but it could just be a corner, it could be a chair, it could be a place in your living room, it could your dining table, it could be any, any place, but you have to know your place that's gonna be quiet and that you have the amount of time that you determine to be able to really sit with God in that space. So first is pick your place. The second is prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. One of the uh, most common questions that I hear about silence, like what do, what do we do with the barrage of thoughts that we feel when we are silent or that we hear? 
It's unbelievable. Like you, you never can come up with a task list quicker than when you're trying to just sit silently with God. All of a sudden you're overwhelmed with like the 92 things that you need to get done. So here's, here's what I read this amazing recommendation by this room, woman named Ruth Haley Barton this week. She's written a number of tremendous books. I'm reading one by her right now called Silence and Solitude. It's an excellent book. But she, when she teaches retreats, she teaches people to do this. As you sit down, so you've picked your place, and you sit down, start with this question. What am I holding? What am I holding? Meaning, what's on my mind right now? What's weighing on me? What do I not want to forget to do? So maybe it's a task. Maybe it's some sort of emotional thing that's causing you distress, something that is weighing on your heart or your mind. Write those things down. And then she recommends having an envelope by your place that that has the word trust written on it. And it's a way of externalizing this inward longing inside of us to entrust these things to God while we sit with him. So write those things down, put them in that envelope, mark trust, set those aside, and then take the opportunity to sit there and to be with God. It's very, very simple, but preparing our minds for that will help us know like, all right, I've I've got this, I can come back to this, I'm going to let God hold this and handle this while I just try to sit here and to be with him. So prepare your mind. Thirdly, focus on your breath as you start. So find a comfortable position. Um, My recommendation is sitting up, not lying down, especially if you do this in the morning. Thanks to daylight savings, I almost passed out cold during my silence time today. Sitting up, full disclosure, that literally happened. I don't know what we have to do to get rid of daylight savings, but sweet Jesus, bring your kingdom and let's be done with this madness. I read a thing this morning, there's a study suggesting that daylight, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but I'm pissed about it. So... (laughs) Daylight savings, they, they think that it, is, it sends 20 million people a year into a deep depression after the fact. What do we have to do to be done with this stupid thing? Like, anyways, all right. So sitting up, feet on the floor, comfortable position, focusing on your breath. Long, full inhales through your nose, slow, steady exhale through your mouth. That has an incredible effect on the body because your breath is one of the primary things that regulates your parasympathetic nervous system, and it literally tells your nervous system to calm down. So your heart rate begins to drop when you breathe mindfully like that, and your body literally moves into a state of calm. So start with three, four, five deep breaths, and then settle into a relaxed, normal breathing pattern. But pick your place, prepare your mind, focus on your breath. Thirdly, choose a centering prayer. Choose a centering prayer. A centering prayer is just a simple one-sentence prayer that really is a way for you to um, verbalize silently, verbalize your intent, your desire to God. So in light of what we're talking about in this series, a great centering prayer for you to start with would be, Holy Spirit, here I am. So as you breathe in, Holy Spirit, here I am. And have that centering prayer. Now here's another reason why that's really important. Inevitably, even even if you've written down what's on your, your mind, your mind is going to wander in times of silence. It happens to everyone. Even monks who write about this talk about the problem of their mind wandering. The centering prayer helps us, as that happens, like acknowledge those thoughts, acknowledge those emotions, acknowledge those memories, let them go by, and then come back to this centering prayer, this place of Holy Spirit, 
here I am. Don't beat yourself up about it. Don't get annoyed by it. Don't get frustrated with it. Just return to this prayer. Return to being present to God. There's a, an old Catholic priest who passed away just a few years ago named Thomas Keating, who did a bunch of writing on centering prayer. And I read this story about him as he was teaching on it. He had this uh, elderly nun come to him and she was so frustrated. She said, Father Keating, every time I, I'm sit, trying to sit in silence and be present with the Lord, my mind wanders and, and I have to like start over 99 times every time I do this. And I just love the, the idea of an aggravated nun for some reason. <laughs> but she was just so frustrated by this. And he's just frail, old, elderly man at this point in his life. And he, his response was, that I think that's such a beautiful gift that the Spirit has given you, that you get to return to Jesus 99 times in your prayer. And I was like, that is a baller answer, man. Because <laughs> I would have been like, get your envelope, write your stuff down. <laughs> and, and he was just went full Jedi on this lady. It was amazing. But, but think about it like that. Every time your mind wanders, you have an opportunity to return, not to a frustrated God that's like, why can't you pay attention? But to a God that is just so happy that you're there. And that experience alone of returning to him over and over and over and over again forms us in a profound way. Fifthly, surrender to the process. Surrender to the process, okay? So set, my, set a realistic time. Do not set out to start, I'm going to sit for 45 minutes in silence today. Probably not. If this is not a current practice for you, I would recommend if you have some kind of regular quiet time where you spend time in God's word and you pray, do two minutes on the front end and two minutes on the back. That's a great place to start. Two minutes might, if you're like, well, that sounds kind of soft. Well, try it. Because it might feel like an eternity at first. Working our way up to, there is something, there is some research around, there's something about this 13 minute mark that has a uniquely healing impact on the brain. So trying to get up to 13, 20 minutes, something like that, there is something about longevity and time in the same way that like it takes a minute for this stuff to settle. We don't just sit down and go, I'm calm. Like it doesn't work like that. It takes a minute. But start with something that is small and realistic and then just keep at it and let God work. This is a process. Formation is a process of being formed. It's not an instantaneous act. So surrender to that process, and then lastly, and this is gonna be so important if you're gonna do this more than one time, okay? Lastly, suspend judgment. Suspend judgment. By that I mean, don't evaluate the experience of it. Because I I hear from people like, I tried that and it, it was boring, or I just didn't really feel like anything happened, or... And, and so like, don't, don't judge the experience of it. Just again, surrender to the process. Do not expect earth shattering supernatural experiences to happen every time you sit with God. That doesn't happen in any connection that we make in any relationship where every single time you connect with someone, it's just like, whew, that was mind blowing. That doesn't, and that's true in our relationship with God as well. So suspend judgment and just trust, I've been, I've, I've, like this morning, I was so dog tired when I got up this morning. My alarm went off and I was like, is it for sure midnight right now? Like there's no way it's time for me to get up yet. And I was sitting in my chair where I always sit 
and you could see my journal, I could pull it out. And I had started with, dear God, I am tired. <laughs> and I felt like I was not, so I did not walk away from my time with God this morning feeling like, whew, we did work today. I walked away going, I don't think I was conscious for some of that. <laughs> but as I look back over the last three years of my life, I know I've changed. I know it. And I know that this process, this is one part, one critical part of that process. So I think that inside each of us is what I would describe as this war of longings. And it's a war of longings inside of us that brings us to a fork in the road, okay? Where we have two paths that we could go down literally from this moment forward. And the first path has this, it's, it's, it's marked by this longing for control, a longing for comfort, a longing for ease, a longing for what has been and what's familiar. And we can take that path and we can say, you know what, I'm not interested in this silence and solitude thing. I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. Like, and we can take that path and we're going we're gonna to experience more of what we've already experienced up to this point, which is more distress, more being on our own, more fighting to be in control of every facet of our lives. Or we can choose the other path that is marked by silence and solitude that cultivates this calm in our hearts. And we will experience deeper, a deeper realization of God's presence, one in which we truly learn to listen and to hear from him. And it won't be easy and it isn't always comfortable, but we have to acknowledge that we have a choice to make in this. We choose the path. And so we have to choose. Because what I think we need to make a collective, communal agreement to be done with, we have to stop accusing God of not speaking when we refuse to get still. Because we, while we refuse to get still, we have to be done with that. God doesn't communicate with me. God doesn't communicate with me. God doesn't, God's not talking to me. God's not saying anything to me. Are you getting still? No. He should talk louder. Let's be done with that. The reality is we want God to conform to what we want him to do, the way we want him to do it, the, when we want him to do it. So we want God to speak clearly to us. Like some of us wouldn't even stop for the burning bush because we're too busy. Like, well, at least give me the donkey that talked to Balaam because at least I can ride him while I'm on to my next thing. <laughs> there is an invitation in front of us. God says, I want to communicate with you. But you have to get still. And so the question is, will we do that? We don't, we don't need God to shout. God invites us to get still. So will you wade into the messy, uncomfortable, awkward, scary reality that is silence and solitude that stills our hearts? Let me pray for us, and then we'll do some Q&A. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a God who speaks that you have not left us to speculate and to guess at who you are. You have chosen to 
communicate with us through your word. But you also want to use our emotions. You want to surface things inside of us that reveal where we need more of you, that reveals where you're at work. You want us to have a a sense of peace, knowing that you are present with us, that you are in control. And we acknowledge that you invite us to get still with you, to find a solitary place, to spend some time intentionally just being silent, and knowing in a deeper way that you are God. And you also know how hard that is for us. And so Lord, I just, I pray that you would remove any motive inside of us that would be driven by guilt or obligation, Lord, that we would instead focus our attention on this genuine longing that we have to know you more, to realize you more in our lives and that we would pursue these practices as a means of knowing you more. And so I pray that you would give us each wisdom in how to implement this in our lives, that you would give us patience and that you would meet with us as we become more present with you. Lord, we love you, and we need your help in this. And so we ask that you would help us. We thank you in closing that you desire relationship with us, so much so that, Jesus, you gave your own life in our place to make that relationship possible. And so we thank you for that gift, and we want to respond to that gift by pursuing stillness that makes relationship with you possible. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.